everyone. Welcome back to The Daily Blend Show with me, Reed Daily. This is the sound off segment of the show where we interview founders, owners, and entrepreneurs and talk about how they operate and execute. In this episode of the show, we are talking with CEO and co-founder of RADA, of RADA Golf, uh, Jason Fields. Uh, We're going to jump into the brand, kind of golf as an industry and a whole. We're going to talk about manufacturing and how to do that successfully in a modern uh, COVID, sort of post-COVID era, and have a little bit of fun just uh, chopping it up. Uh, Before we jump in the show, I just want to remind you that this episode and all other previous episodes of the show is available on Google Podcast, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. You can also check us out on anchor.fm and, of course, dailyblend.com. At the end of the show, I will put show notes of where to find Rada um, on the web. And obviously, if you go to dailyblend.com, you can get all of those links. So, with that said, let's jump into the show. Uh, hey guys, we're here with uh, Rada Golf, co founder uh, and uh, uh, CEO or co founder, if you will, uh, Jason Fields. Um, and what we're going to do is talk a little bit about uh, Rada Golf, not just the creative and sort of um, brand side, but also the, you know, kind of the business side and what it took to establish um, a a differentiated golf brand uh, and then do that uh, really and and sort of kick it off in the uh, the COVID era. So uh, Jason, welcome uh, and thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to chatting. Yeah. So why don't we just kick it off with, um, you know, give us just like a little bit of intro on, on, who you are, uh, both in terms of the the company and uh, and where you're calling in from, because it's uh, you know it's a COVID era, so everyone likes to know where in the world people are these days. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm in uh, a garage converted into a guest room is where I've been working out of uh, since the pandemic started here in uh, in Venice, California. Um, yeah, so I, I grew up in in in, in South LA. Um, you know, I guess to kind of give you any sort of insight or background on the brand, you'd have to kind of uh, learn a little bit more about me and my journey, my relationship with golf. Um, but I grew up in South LA and, um, you know, not the, the the biggest golf hotbed. You know, there were a couple of par nine courses around where I grew up. Um, and, uh, you know, my my uncle got me into golf uh at an early age like around nine or ten years old and uh, you know kind of as a uh, way to keep me busy after school and keep me out of trouble and and i I learned the game uh at maggie hathaway in compton and hartwell golf course the lakewood area and um and it was more about community for me then it was really very much about you know, uh, playing golf with your neighbors, having fun with your family and friends. And, you know, I knew all the starters, the starters knew my uncle, that kind of thing. Um, I ended up moving up to Sonoma County for high school, uh, played uh, competitive golf with them and started playing, you know, pretty high end, um, very uh, closed off country clubs up there. Um, and went back to, to Los Angeles after high school uh, eventually found myself in New York for almost a decade working for various uh, apparel and fashion brands. And, um, 
you know, didn't really pick the game back up seriously until my 30s. Um, and we, uh, my co-founder and I, Ivan Dominguez, who we've worked together in, 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 the, in, in fashion before he comes from the wholesale and production side. I'm in the merchandising side and he, um, he and I had this idea to, to start a golf brand in, in 2017 and we did some research and uh, really kind of took a look at the, at the market and launched Rada Golf in 2019. And, and so, you know, what from sort of the 2017 of, of coming up, you know, with the idea to start a brand and then 2019, Talk to me a little bit about like the things that, you know, you and your, your partner kind of had to decide um, in terms of like responsibilities. And mm -hmm. then, you know, what were some of the steps that you had to do? Because a lot of people always just see the glitz and the glam, right. like flashy website, good Instagram, but they don't necessarily see the behind the scenes. So what right. were some of the things like that was the setup piece? Well, for me, you know, when I was living in New York at the time, I was working for J. Crew, and I hadn't really been playing a lot of golf. And I was working like 50, 60 hour weeks at J. Crew, and I needed an outlet. And my wife and I were we were living in in Brooklyn, like under a bridge. You know, we'd we'd wake up every morning at like five fifteen. The uh, you know the the train going overhead. And I just really needed an outlet. I was stressed out. So I decided to pick up the clubs again and go play. And, but I wanted to get a lesson. So I got hooked up with a buddy who um, was like, oh, you know, meet my friend. He's a pro. Uh, he'll give you a couple lessons at Chelsea Piers. And so it was springtime and, uh, you know, walked across uh, Manhattan in really nice weather with, you know, a seven iron in my hand, just getting ready to, you know, hit some balls for this guy. And But I showed up in like, you know, and this was 2000. Guys, 2014. Um, and, you know, I, I put on, you know, my Nike outfit, my Nike golf outfit. You know, it was the only thing I really knew, you know, that I could play golf in. It was Nike golf shorts or Nike golf polo, whatever. And, you know, I have my lesson afterwards. You know, I, I meet a couple friends who, you know, they, they're like me. They, they have tattoos. They don't really shave very much. One of them is a photographer. One of them was in fashion and you know i showed up to this bar to have a drink with them and they looked at me and just roasted me for like 30 minutes just like making fun of my outfit just like what are you doing like they didn't even know i golfed and the the question that my buddy asked me was so simple that i'd never really thought about it in this way he said you know why does golf apparel need to look like that it's just a polo and a pair of shorts or a pair of pants and at the time I was working at J crew and we were developing a travel suit. So a suit that can wick water, a suit that stretches, you could wear it on a plane straight off the plane into a meeting. It looks great. It doesn't wrinkle like that kind of thing. So I was like, wow, the, like technical apparel is now everywhere. So, and if we can make a suit that looks really luxurious out of this technical apparel, why does the golf product in the market right now look so cheap? And that set me off on the journey to try and figure out the market and from there on it was why isn't there a golf brand that represents my values my life off the course why isn't there a golf brand that 
understands that the game doesn't define me and I have other interests and things like that. I'm not a just do it guy. I'm not playing golf to shoot, you know, 72 every time. A lot of the time I'm going out to play with friends and just to have fun. And so the idea started to really develop out of this white space and out of the lack of a brand that really fit into my parameters as far as, you know, what I would want to invest in and what I would want to wear on the course that allowed me to feel free of wearing a uniform and that would represent my values and my relationship with the game and all of that. And, you know, at first, obviously, you know, when you look at a, a, a golf product, you go into a golf shop, the, the most obvious thing is just how ugly the majority of, of the apparel is. And so, you know, that was an obvious entry point into the market, which was, okay, let's, let's take what's going on on the street in contemporary fashion, streetwear, and give it golf functionality. But that's just not enough from my perspective to really launch a brand in a market that has been dominated by billion dollar brands. You don't just enter into the market with just, oh, it's just cooler, right? That's not really going to get you very far. And so I partnered with Ivan Dominguez, my co-founder, he comes from the licensing and wholesale side. He's also a partner in a factory in China, which gave us a huge edge, right? So he partnered with me, saw the opportunity, and he was like, look, like if, if you partner with me and we kind of go and do this, we will have a huge leg up in that our lead times will be a fraction of what they would be uh, if, you know, you know, you, you know, you look at Adidas or Nike, their lead times are 12 to 14 months. Ours can be as little as two months, depending on the time of year. Um, and, you know, if we we're doing bulk, uh, it would be three months. And so that was a huge unlock for us, knowing that, you know, we didn't have to make gigantic investments in product that we weren't quite sure yet would work, um, especially when you're growing a business making investments in your inventory is very risky because you don't have traction, you don't have a built-in audience. And so you, and, and to really differentiate yourself, you need to make sure that what you're producing is on point or else you're going to be marking down very quickly uh, and looking for ways to convert your product into cash. And that's not a good place to be as, as a new brand entering into the market. And so Ivan and I really started to ask ourselves a lot of really basic questions but questions that I think helped us in, in where we feel we are now, which is we have a real business, not just a brand. You know, when you launch and you go to market, you're going to market as a brand. You haven't built a business yet. And, you know, I say this a lot. It's very easy to build a brand. It's extremely difficult to build a business. And so for us, it's like, okay, we have, we have the designer. We brought on another partner, Alvin Manalo, who's been designing for major labels and he's done a, a ton of really amazing work and and we liked him because he doesn't come from a golf person he doesn't golf he comes from a fashion perspective i'm the golfer i make sure that everything kind of fits within this world but he comes from a fashion lens and so that lens um allows uh allows us to really kind of offer something that's really unique and fresh um but beyond beyond the aesthetics and everything like that we wanted to make sure that when we were positioned correctly with our price points our distribution was on point and so we launched with a direct-to-consumer model first um with very little to no wholesale 
And that was a lesson I learned from Mickey Drexler, which was you want to control your price point. You don't want to go into a retailer and see your product shoved in a corner marked down. So the first two years of business, we were primarily direct to consumer. Um, and even now we rarely go on sale because of the fact that we can control our inventory better than most of our competitors. Um, and, uh, you know, we have the right distribution model. Um, and yeah. Question for you on, on kind of launching when mm -hmm. knowing that you had kind of a competitive advantage with the warehouse and your time to market, did you guys also, um, try for maybe more SKUs, but, but fewer, you know, invent uh, quantity and, and mm -hmm. sort of test the market and kind of a B test, or did you guys start small? Like what was the, what was the strategy or tactic you guys, uh, did in that first sort of year of learning? We merchandised pretty wide. So we had a lot of styles with very little depth. So it allowed us to really sell through product. Um, and, it allowed us to really tell the story with our product as well. We don't want to just release product for product's sake. We want there to be a story. We want there to be, you know, this intangible um, value that comes with the product. And so we had a, a very wide assortment of goods in the first season with very little depth. And we were able to then say, okay, well, these mid layers or these knits aren't working the core product is doing really well. Um, these trend driven products are doing well, but these aren't. And then it really allowed us to kind of mold our second and third season into a more uh, pointed and, um, and precise assortment of goods um, while kind of also working on our, uh, our depth of inventory as well. Um, so yeah, you know, we, you know, because we're coming from a, a, a fashion background, we wanted a story to be told with our assortment of goods. And so we preferred to go wide with very little depth. Um, but we continue to AB test as, as we go. Um, but you know, yeah, for that first season, we had a huge leg up in that we could really test a number of different categories and styles and not take as big of a risk as our competitor. Did you, um, were you able to track any, any sort of data and, and start to look at like maybe trends by region or geography of like maybe different, um, products moved better in, in, uh, you know, the East coast versus the West or North versus the South, or is golf pretty much, you know, your core customer is, is pretty much the same, uh, no matter where they live. Well, I mean, the first season, it was difficult to really, you know, extrapolate any sort of real key takeaways. We needed a bigger pie to really divide up. Uh, and so we didn't really start to learn about how the markets were buying into our assortment differently until, uh, I would say late last year, early this year. And we have a big presence in Japan in, and in Japan, they love trend driven, fashion driven product. Um, and then on the coast, the same thing. So uh, the California, New York, Florida kind of thing is, is very trend driven. And then we see a ton of core product go into the middle States, into the UK. Um, and, uh, 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 
you know, it's, it's, it's kind of difficult because the core product sells everywhere, but we see it, it sell through more in the middle, in the middle of the country. Um, but, you know, I would say the majority of our customers are okay with buying into our trend driven product. And I think that for them, you know, outside looking in, they see that as a huge differentiator right off the bat. And so I think that's an easier purchase for them. And, and as we, as we see multiple purchases from one customer, we see that they enter into our ecosystem through these trend driven products, but then end up buying multiples of the core as well. So it's just kind of really interesting to kind of look back at my time with golf and knowing that like, if I were playing a country club, like if I were to go out and play Riviera or something, I would probably just wear a basic polo. Uh, nothing with to you know nothing nothing with poppy collar or anything like that. It would just be like a navy polo or something like that. But if I'm playing a a muni with my friends or something, then I would probably dress a little you know a little bit more casually with with more color. And so I think you know golfers tend to have this in their closet, and uh, we're starting to see that in how customers repeat customers come in and purchase the goods. Interesting. Um, in terms of like, you know, going from 2017 to kind of launching in, in 2019, like talk to me a little bit about, you know, what are some of the tools and tactics that you guys did to get the awareness out, you know, in, in terms of, you know, both locally and your kind of West Coast, East Coast, but, but you know, across the globe. Right. Well, we just, you know, we just focused on building a small community around us with our peers because I have a lot of friends from you know growing up in LA and living in New York and Pasha I have a lot of really influential friends in you know music uh, film and television and fashion and and so many of them golf and so for me I felt like my peers were the conduits to kind of develop this community not just around myself and my my friends that I golf with but their friends and their friends and so at the at the beginning you know it was it was via instagram mainly we didn't have a huge budget we you know we we had friends and family pitching for the initial production we haven't taken on uh large sums of capital and um and so for us it was all organic you know we wanted to build an authentic community that didn't seem forced you know that really felt like our product fit into their lifestyle and their wardrobe uh, naturally and without any sort of, um, you know, we didn't want people to look and be like, oh, that guy's wearing, or, you know, he's wearing a uniform or he's, you know, it, it needs to look natural. And we're not trying to put this product on people who wouldn't feel comfortable in it. And so I think because they, they caught on to this authenticity, uh, that organic growth began to you know, grow exponentially. As far as like growth around the globe, I mean, it's just through Instagram and through, you know, various influencers who I've met along the way who have large audiences. And, you know, I mean, my partner and I now get hit up from distributors all across the globe because of, you know, uh, you know, one account here in the States or they saw this guy posting, you know, uh, you know, a photo on Instagram. And and so you know, the, the power of Instagram in, 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 in developing traction and getting brand awareness, um, is huge if you do it the right way. But I think ultimately we knew that if the product was 
placed in authentic places. We weren't forcing it and we were putting it on people who we knew were really drawn to our brand and to our product. It would grow and, and it's worked. Um, you know, the, the, the global, uh, the global distribution that we've, we've, we've developed we've started to distribute now to norway the uk south korea canada uh australia japan and we're working on hong kong has all been organic um yeah and so you know i think there's something to be said about authenticity and you know it kind of goes back again to this uh, idea of you know you could jump into this market, but you really have to know those fine little movements and 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 and, and key decisions to make to really be able to develop your business. Um, and that was one of the big decisions we made. And and you know it it wasn't a a quick growth for us. There are a lot of brands who launched around the same time who are much bigger than us now. But I guarantee you they spent exponentially more money than we did to get to where they are. Um, and may have even sold off some equity, we haven't. Um, and so that was also a really big decision that my partner and I made uh, early on. Hello? Hey, are you there? I'm here. Oh, there you go. Can you hear me or no? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, it dropped, actually. You didn't know. I'm having um, streaming issues, a.k.a. I think someone is probably streaming inside of my, uh, my house somewhere, <laughs> so I can edit this part out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I didn't miss anything there. Um, Um, let's talk about like, in terms of, you know, you talk about organic distributors, like how does it, how does it work for you guys in terms of making a decision, you know, that someone reaches out to you and, you know, wanting to invest time, energy and resources in building those relationships versus, you know, going direct to consumer through your website. I mean, it, you know, that, that takes time, you know, where do you, you know, draw the line or do you guys have a framework of, of how you decide who to proceed and work with? Well, the, the domestic market is primarily direct to consumer. And so we haven't really opened up wholesale here. Mm -hmm. um, but to help, you know, kind of buoy the business and allow us to scale a bit while investing more in our DTC channels here in the States, we've opened up the distribution network um, globally. And, to i guess for us you know most of these distributors are either new or they have brands that we really love and so for us you know there needs to be a, a solid brand adjacency that we feel is valuable so you know if this person is distributing brands that we feel aren't in line with our values or where we would like to be placed, then we pass. Um, then there are distributors who really understand the vision, who really get it, and we develop a relationship with them. And you know, these are the guys who are usually only a few years in, and but they they really have 
strong synergy with the brand and we know that they will place us in the accounts that we would find um, valuable for the brand. Um, So there's always an element of risk involved, but I think with everybody we've partnered with, the communication has been great. Um, if, If they have other golf brands that they're distributing, those brands are also in line with us and we feel that um, there, you know, there's, uh, you know, a chance that we'll, you know, have a very long-term successful, successful relationship with them. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a bit difficult at first, but you know, it's, it's all about, I guess, just digging into their business and making sure that what they've done in the past with brands, with existing brands, um, uh, you know, is, is, is something that you, see that they have the ability to do with yours but there definitely is a big risk involved there gotcha and you know when when i go to your uh, your website you know looking at you know your uh your skews and kind of your, your assortments here it, it was like it brought like a big smile on my face because you know i saw you know obviously uh shirts and uh and hats uh, but I also saw things like a CBD beverage and, uh, you know, creams and chairs. Like mm-hmm. how, how do you guys sit down as a team and say, you know, here's what we want to do that we know is our sort of call, call it your tried and trues, your core, right. if you will, right. versus here are some fun things. Like, is it deliberate in terms of, you know, you had this idea or do you guys have a brainstorming session? What's that? Like no, no. So when I was at J Crew, I was also uh, working on the branded goods side. So there would be at J Crew, there's an assortment of, I think what they titled at this time was brands we love, and so they would buy into you know Barber for jackets or Saturday Surf for surf trunks and things like that, and it would be items that the the J Crew customer could go on there and and discover, right? And it was a huge draw and it was very successful. And, you know, when Ivan and I were talking about our distribution plans, we were talking about, you know, because there's a huge network of over like 15,000 pro shops that we could go into here in the States. But most of them, they all look the same or it's just horribly merchandised, poorly managed. um, And it's just, it would, it would it would deteriorate our brand value. And so we were like, why isn't there a great pro shop out there that really offered products that weren't just polos, shorts, belts, and shoes and balls. You know, it's like, we need good sunscreens. We need, you know, healthier refreshments. We need something that speaks to our lifestyle again. And so we felt that, you know, we could do that and on our website, but also, these products speak to something beyond what's being sold on the site. You know, what this does is speaks to a lifestyle. It speaks to your values um, and it speaks to interests that are off the course. You know, we have a brand called Salt and Stone, which is an organic skincare line. So they offer like, you know, facial wipes for when you're done with your round. Uh, They have organic sunscreens and things like that that we sell. And Nima, who's the founder of that brand, is a big golfer, and he was a pro snowboarder before he launched the brand. And it's just like, I, I love that story of him 
you know, he, he wasn't a golfer. He found it. He has this brain. He's a brand owner, but he, he's passionate about the game of golf. So for me, it's like, it's the same thing. I'm, I'm, I am a golfer and I have golfed since I was nine or 10, but it doesn't define me. I'm interested in my health and wellness. I'm interested in other things. And I want this assortment of goods to speak to that um, understanding with our customers that they also have other interests. You know, they don't live and breathe the game and we know that. And here are some great products that could supplement your experience on and off the course. So in a way, you're kind of, you know, curating uh, interesting brands that are kind of adjacent, if you will, or complementary yeah. to your brand and mm-hmm. helping introduce them. No, I like, I like that concept. Um, yeah, but there, there also, there also needs to be like, a, it's, it's a really weird intangible connection that the brand needs to have with the lifestyle we're selling. Um, the experience on course, obviously, um, and then our brand values. So there's not a lot out there. I mean, there are a lot of, I mean, we could, we could sell Adidas shoes on there if we wanted to, we could sell, you know, a ton of things, but we don't. And I think that's also another big thing that Ivan and I do on a daily basis. We say no a hundred times before we say yes. Um, so yeah, it's it's a supplemental assortment of goods that speaks to something that, you know, is much greater than the product we're selling. Um, and people have really caught on to it. People really understand it and they've discovered some things on our site, which which is which is a great thing. No, that's that's really cool. I got to imagine, too, it's 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 probably a fun uh, exercise just to uh, engage with some of these other brands and kind of articulate your value prop understand theirs and, and see if there's there's a, a good fit yeah uh, that's pretty cool um it, you know one of the things we talked about uh before we, we jumped on recording is just you know because of covid golf shot up in popularity uh it was like the only thing you could really do uh for for some time i think last year in most places you know talk to me a little bit about like how covid impacted you guys in terms of you know sales and revenue and kind of like new customers but also how you guys think about your business strategically uh covid was very scary at first i mean uh, march was just frightening we 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 thought we were going to go out of business and um you know as we kind of got along and people uh you know started to really sense the new normal and get out a little bit more and golf courses opened up, we saw a huge boom. And so managing that was also somewhat difficult. You know, it's, we're in a pandemic, we're selling through product like crazy. How can we continue to fuel this, take advantage of it? And um, at the same time, like, you know, make sure we're not you know screwing our brand for post pandemic times um as far as our, our any sort of business pivot i i don't think it's done anything but reinforce our brand positioning our brand values i think i think covid really exposed the desire for brands like rada in the market Right. Because not only, you know, were golfers who hadn't golfed for decades uh, golfing and new golfers 
playing rounds for the first time. People you had never knew loved the game were starting to, you know, fly that flag and say, yeah, I golf. It started to become cool, right? And so that really fueled the fire for our growth last year um, and didn't really do much for us other than, you know, re it really was impetus for us to open up wholesale more globally. Um, but as far as domestically, it just reinforced our, our decision-making and making sure we, were, we weren't straying from our core values, our initial brand vision and direction in terms of business strategies. We felt it really validated us in, in a number of different ways. We doubled down in a lot of areas of our business, but we wanted to make sure that, you know, because at that time we were selling anything and everything. People were coming to us and, and you know, it was crazy. It was great. Uh, but we wanted to make sure we made proper investments going into this year. We wanted to make sure that the business was sound enough to weather another pandemic, if there ever was one. Um, you know, and then, you know, production and logistics became became somewhat challenging. There were some, you know, decisions to be made there. But, you know, I think when I look back at 2020, um, I, I, I think it was just a great year for us to really we took in a lot in, 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 in reinforced values, you know, it's like, okay, this, we made a great decision. This, we made a great decision. This was not that strong. You know, we need to kind of work in these areas, but, and sorry if I'm being too general, but it was, it was, it was a kind of a frantic year, I think for golf, you know, when you talk to other golf brands out there, everybody was behind the demand. Um, and, you know, we weren't unique in that, in, in that respect either. But, um, you know, I think if, if anything, it just really exposed this hole in the market and, you know, has really driven a lot of uh, new competitors into the market in 2021. Yeah, and, and I, I think what, what will be interesting, and, you know, you don't have to disclose this, obviously, is I'm sure there are some brands that maybe started and didn't make as many sound operational decisions that are either gone or, or soon to be gone. And conversely, I bet you there's a bunch of uh, new brands that I've seen pop up, uh, you know, that that uh, saw the uh, spike in, uh, mm -hmm. in a number of rounds. So interesting. That's, that's um, I'm sure when you guys think back of the last 18 months, it's the operational things that are, are going to stick with you on this. It's 100%. And it's part of the reason why I was excited to have this conversation with you because I know you wanted to dig into the business end of it as opposed to just, you know, the, you know, the, the, the aesthetic and the branding and the creative. And it all goes back again to just it's very easy to start a brand. It's very difficult to build a, build a business. And so, you know, I agree with you. I think there are a lot of brands that have launched within the last year that um, aren't sound businesses they're great brands and they're catching on to this hype wave but you know will they be here in three years we don't know yeah um kind of you know i'll knock on wood and hope we're, we're kind of coming out of this covid uh era and not just still in it uh for for a lot longer but like when you think about the the capabilities of you and your team like what are the the things that you think you guys are going to need to to add in terms of uh, skill sets, uh, either, um, you know, upskilling your own selves or going to market and hiring people to, to help, 
you know, take your business from where it is today to where you guys want it to go in the future. Mm -hmm. I think for us, it's, it's going to be in the marketing side. We have, we have the production nailed. We have uh, a really sound distribution network, but the biggest market is the U S and you know, it's, it's, it's a huge, uh, it's a huge market with even bigger competitors, billion dollar brands in this market. Um, our little corner of the market's becoming more and more saturated. So for us to really scale, it's got to be evangelizing our origin story. It's got to be about really talking about these points of differentiation and building brand equity. And that's through content, that's through, you know, key marketing channels and, and, and partnerships. And I think for us, that would be our biggest investment, um, going forward in the next year or two. Um, you know, because you see, you see a rod of polo hanging somewhere and you don't really have that story behind it unless you really have a strong marketing team so that if you have that marketing team and you have all those investments in place and they're firing on all cylinders, it's no longer just a polo hanging on a rack. There's a whole story behind it. You're buying into a lifestyle, a vision. Uh, you're buying into a community. And so for us, this is, this is where you know, the gold lies. It's in that messaging. It's in that marketing. And, you know, when you guys think in terms of your team building, do you feel that that's something where you need to, you know, bring someone in house for that or based on, you know, your, you know, I know you were at other retailers uh, and uh, brands, you know, is that better served by having, you know, someone in the market that's more on the, maybe I wouldn't say on the pulse, but is working with other clients. Like, how are you guys going to decide, you know, in-house or outhouse or uh, third party, if you will? That's a good question. I guess it's going to come down to uh, money, you know, like what we can afford. <laughs> yeah. um, that's primarily going to what it's going to come down to. But ultimately, um, and if we can't afford it, it would be in-house. Um, and we'd like to find someone with a diverse uh, you know, set of experiences, not just golf. You know, I think as the golf market develops and evolves in the game of golf, the image of golf and the lifestyle associated with the game evolves. Um, marketing is going to, marketing in this market is going to change. And so I would like to be in the forefront of that. And the way to do that is by finding people with experiences outside of golf and, and, and molding them to this market. And, and I know you you made mention you know U.S. is the largest market um, by far. Not knowing the numbers, like do you have to sort of tell a slightly different uh, variant of your story domestically than than maybe in Europe or in Asia, or do you feel like it's the same narrative and the same sort of buying uh, habits, or do you that's feel a, like it's it's different? That's a great question, and I never really. It, 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 we've only told one story and and I think that is primarily because of the strength of the narrative that has won the you know the won over like the the game of golf right so there's these two narratives it's the muni guy the weekend warrior the guys the 95 percent of the golfing population out there the guys who go out there to have fun crack some beers hang out with some friends play at their local muni um, and then there's that smaller segment that are, you know, at country clubs. 
and they're playing these elite walled off environments. And that narrative of the country club, of the country club member has won over the muni narrative to define what the game is and define what the lifestyle and the culture is all about, which is so backwards, so wrong. And I think that's been a big anchor for the game of golf, you know, preventing growth and, 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 and accessibility to those who haven't played the game before. And I don't think that's unique to the U.S. Um, it was born out of here, but we are the ones who really kind of sell this game and this uh, in, in this experience to the world, right? And so, you know, that narrative, I think, is, is pervasive all across the globe, no matter where you're at. Um, I think maybe it's probably different in Scotland, the origin of the, uh, the game of golf, but I think golf as a product and as a packaged piece of entertainment and experience, that's, that's uniquely American. And uh, I think that is, is, is really what we're fighting against. And I think it's been, it's been pretty consistent throughout all of our markets globally that that's what people are buying into. Interesting. I, I remember you, you know, sort of our, our prep call, you know, you talked about walking the floor of one of the golf, um, uh, <laughs> not conventions, but uh, markets, if you Yeah, will. the trade show. Trade shows. Thank you. And just how much you thought it looked, looked, you know, a lot of the same of rinse and repeat, you know, it could be, it could have been brand X or brand Y. And, and I think you're, you're, you're right. You know, when you walk onto so many of these courses, it's that uh, sort of buttoned up uh, look that uh, is coming out of a certain segment of the market. And there, there are other people that are enjoying the, the game. And, and I think your description is, is so, uh, you know, accurate that you, you really do have folks you know, for the, the large majority of people who just want to go and have, have some fun, play with their friends, be outside versus, you know, I've got to, I've got to have a three or four handicap and I'm playing multiple right. times a week. Um, right. You know, in terms of, you know, we talked about talent uh, and we talked about, you know, the, 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 uh, the marketing pieces and where, where do you guys think is, is next beyond that? I mean, is that really what the, the focus has to become to, to go uh, and kind of hit that next threshold for the brand is really just to dial in marketing were there any other capabilities you guys think you need to activate? I think right now our immediate focus is marketing. Um, I think as we scale, um, a whole plethora of new challenges will creep up. Yeah. Um, when you start doing the numbers of, you know, some of our bigger competitors, it's no longer as easy to manage logistics, sourcing, um, distribution, you know, your timing becomes more complicated. So our, our speed to market is something that we're going to protect like gold, but it becomes more and more complicated as you grow. So there are going to be some, you know, key unlocks that we're going to have to find that will allow us to maintain our speed to market, our elevated quality, and being a reliable business-to-business -business partner in distributing our goods. And that's a big challenge that I think 
my partner and I would need to develop or bring in. Um, you know, it's a Rubik's cube. When you start developing globally at scale, that's a huge challenge. And um, yeah, that's something that we we look forward to <laughs> supplementing our team in some way to make sure that, that that scaling process is seamless. Interesting. When you think of the game of golf, um, what would be like the biggest change you'd like to see to the game itself, regardless of the impact on, on your brand, just, just overall? Mm -hmm. I think the way the game is sold. Um, you know, the, the, the experience of golf, you know, when you go out and play the game, I think it's, I, I'm not the kind of guy who's advocating for larger holes or, you know, a time limit to your round or anything like that. You know, I think I, I, I love the way the game is played now, but I don't like the way the game is sold. And I think it's primarily the P, the product of the PGA, right? It's, I don't like that there's no personality. I don't like that, you know, it's, there's a benign culture that encapsulates this product. I don't like how, you know, no one's selling the social aspects of the game. No one's targeting the right demographics to sell the game. I, I think that for me, the way the game is packaged needs to change. And that'll lead to a whole bunch of unforeseen developments that I think will really surprise the PGA and, and, and the community of golfers um, uh, who play the game. Um, what those changes should be, I don't know, but I do know that it's boring. <laughs> I, I'm a diehard, I mean, look, I, I'm a prime example. I'm a diehard golfer. I've golfed twice already this week. I'm golfing again tomorrow. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, I am a, a diehard golfer, but I don't watch the PGA tour unless, you know, there's a good story going on into Sunday, or if it's a major like Augusta, I don't care. You know, the, the latest interesting thing that I was following was the whole, uh, feud between Brooks and Bryson, you know, and I'm not a Bryson fan. I hate the guy, but I love to hate him and he makes me <laughs> tune in. You know, more of that, like bring on some more personalities. It doesn't need to be a circus or a clown show, but please just inject some personality into it. And, and let's have a little bit more fun with, with the game itself and, and the tour and the players. And yeah, I, I, you know, I think a lot of people would be really surprised as to, to how people will react to that. But it's, yeah. you know, like, like anything, the PGA is a business and they protect their dollars. And the last thing they want to do is stray from convention and lose any, 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 any potential streams of revenue. But the one thing I know is that my generation by attrition is going to be taken over uh, the generation ahead of me. And we have a different set of values and we have a different set of, of interests and requirements to what we consume on a daily basis and how we consume entertainment like the PGA tour. And so I think, I think it's, you know, if, if you're looking at it from that angle a PGA is a decade behind where they should be. 
Well, you know who you know who does it great is in terms of just like a, a, a packaged product is Augusta. Their their app and their their website is amazing. You could follow done a like fantastic job. On it's the tech so great. The whole thing. Yeah, yeah, it's so great. I the mean, that's a uh, the Olympics could learn a lot from them uh, for yeah, sure. I um, agree. I, I will say, in terms of personalities, I'm pretty fired up that Phil won this year, and yeah. as a result, is going to get five more years i wasn't a big phil fan growing up because it was like tiger versus phil is what i always yep. thought was like the competitive and just seeing kind of phil's personality i'm like man yeah. you know the pga really <laughs> screwed up by not showcasing this guy he's hysterical he he brings you know a, a fantastic personality to golf that the, the matches series that have come out yes. is just great for golf it needs to be more of that um for sure I agree. But, um, the match is amazing. I love it. I I agree. I the same way. I wasn't. A, I was a Freddie Couples fan, then I was a Tiger fan, and because it was Tiger versus Phil, I hated Phil. And now I'm I'm a huge fan of Phil Mickelson. The guy's hilarious. He has I mean jokes for days. I love watching him on the match. The match was a great concept. I think that's you know, is you know the Tom Brady and all these other athletes from. From other sports coming in and playing the game i mean that's a that's a great way to grow the game and and expose the game of golf to people who never thought to even pick up a club um yeah more of that yeah nice well um in closing you know tell us where we can find you and the brand um on the web and social and and anywhere else yeah, so you could find uh, our whole collection at radagolf.com. Uh, you could follow us on Instagram at, at radagolf. Um, Instagram is, is a great way to kind of get a lead on what's, you know, what product is in the pipeline, when it's going to drop, and things like that. Um, same with our newsletter that you could sign up um, for on uh, our website, radagolf.com, and that will also give you um, some supplementary, uh, supplemental sorry, content to... Um, you know, all of our product and, and background on what's influenced our designs and, and things like that. Uh, but the, those are the, those are the places to really get plugged into our community. Well, perfect. Well, uh, thanks for coming on and, uh, we'll make sure that we link all of the, uh, the, the website and the social, uh, in the show notes and on.com. And we'll be looking out for, uh, more stuff from you and the brand. Thanks, but I, I enjoyed our conversation. So hopefully you enjoyed my conversation with Jason from Rada. Uh, as you could tell, the audio was just a little bit choppy thanks to some bad connection on my end. But I, I think you got to hear more of what Jason had to say about the market, his company, and what's to come. Uh, one of the last things I did want to highlight was the fact that they do a mixtape series, which I love. I've I've subscribed to it. Um it's just an eclectic mix of music uh, that they put out uh, every now and then. The artwork's kind of fun. It just reminds me of some like 80s nostalgia. So make sure you go see that on their Instagram uh, and their .com. Make sure you go check out the uh, the web store at radagolf.com. Follow them on Instagram at radagolf. That's R-A-D-D-A-G-O-L-F. And with that said, enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in.